With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, this is John O'Beaver, the Red Star of Minnesota from Ring General Radio. You are listening to the 4D Podcast Network. This is the Twins and Losses Super Show, part of the 4D Podcast Network. As always, I am your host and producer, Panda Pete, joined on the Skype phone by Mr. Dantes McCarthes. Dan, how are you doing today? Wonderful. The connection is good. It is snowing outside, and the Vikings are not... Nope, we're not talking about it because I don't give a shit. (laughs) We're recording on a Sunday before the stupid football game happens, and by I'm throwing it out there right now. I hope they lose. Because I am that person. At me at PandaP21 on Twitter if you'd like to fight about it. I just don't care. I, honest to God, want them to be miserable and self-loathing for another full season. That's where I'm at right now with everything. Just like the absolute meltdown this state will incur if they do lose. And I'm going to love every... moment of it i have zero facebook will be unaccessible for like two weeks facebook will be awful twitter will be awful meanwhile we get to talk about baseball we've got lots of fun things coming up as well in the world of hockey so i'm totally okay with everything and the wolves are doing well too so there's a lot of good things going on in the state of minnesota the cherry on top would be another vikings meltdown especially if it involves kicking or interceptions or you know any of those kind of things too We do have a lot going on today, though. We are going to have old friend Barry Campbell join us, uh, talk a little bit about the NHL, the Minnesota Wild, in the later segment of the show. But, Dan, we've got a lot of baseball news right now, and I think we'll start outside of the Twins organization. Garrett Cole officially traded to the Houston Astros, and a lot of people didn't necessarily think it was going to happen, uh, mostly because it sounded like they had a trade done earlier uh, last week. That fell through. It didn't happen then, but apparently they figured something out. And now Garrett Cole headed from Pittsburgh to the Astros. The Pirates ended up getting right-handers Joe Musgrove and Michael Felix, third baseman Colin Morin, and outfielder Jason Martin for Garrett Cole. Cole was 12-12 and last season with a 4.26 ERA. Uh, he'll be joining Dallas Keuchel and Justin Verlander, two former Cy Young Award winners themselves. Uh, what do you think about that? I mean, that makes, I personally think that makes a very scary Houston Astros team a lot scarier. Oh, it's scarifying. Uh, it's a, it's a terrifying lineup. Uh, a little bit surprised to see him go to them because I know they had talks with the Yankees. Uh, apparently the Yankees offered Frazier plus two for Cole, but the Pirates wanted to get an extra player from Houston, which obviously they got. Um, I've seen uh, pundits around the country saying that they could, it's basically trading for peanuts. Uh, I wouldn't say it was as bad as the David Price trade of a couple of years ago. Was it last year or two years ago? Uh, a couple of years ago. Much, yeah, where Tampa Bay got absolutely fleeced. But uh, 
it's good for the Houston Astros. I'd much rather see him go there than the Yankees because the Yankees have obviously bolstered their entire lineup uh, a lot. <laughs> they are scary again, which kind of sucks for everyone else, including us, because we can never seem to get past them. But uh, good for the Astros, good for Garrett Cole. I hope he does a little bit better. I don't think he was the best free agent on the market. Um, I think you Darvish is still a slightly better. And I would still prefer to see the Twins go for Chris Archer. I know that would cost a lot to us, but to get an ace in his prime would be great. Uh, good for Garrett Cole, good for the Astros, bad for the Yankees, so everything is good. Well, and I think the one thing, too, when talking about the Yankees, fuck them, first of all, but with the Yankees, they've been addressing something that wasn't an issue last year, and that was scoring runs. Um, they mm-hmm. did not do anything to really bolster that starting rotation yet, and they're basically just kind of going, they're going to do well enough. And, I mean, with the acquisitions that they've gotten in John Carlos Stanton, uh, who else did they get? There was another big bat that they added to their lineup in the offseason as well. But looking at the Yankees, too, it's like, well, they're going to do that. Um, and, again, I think they're still saving all of their money to try to get something either in the form of Mike Trout or uh, Bryce Harper. And they did sign um, a one-year deal with our former center fielder Aaron Hicks, took me a while to remember his name Uh, so he avoided arbitration so he'll be there uh, for at least another season too but Yankees clearly not interested in upgrading their starting rotation or really their bullpen at this point either Um, and again with the Yankees it's a high risk high reward team when that team is mashing taters like nobody's business most teams aren't going to be able to touch them but if you have Aaron Judge slumping if you have Gary Sanchez out of the lineup there's a lot of problems with that team and their home run power, still very good. You know, they dumped Chase Headley uh, to get his contract off the books as well. But it's spotty. It's not always consistent. And it's not to take away from what the Yankees are capable of doing. Uh, but I think you can see why they really, really got outplayed uh, when it came down to the American League uh, uh, Championship Series. And it's why they did not participate in the World Series, mostly because Houston had kind of that complete package. And with the addition of Garrett Cole, that makes them an even scarier baseball team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Touch it back on the Yankees again. They don't, at least the not that I have seen, have really addressed their starting pitching, which I kind of thought they would. Obviously, we know we we know that they have that insane bullpen, and that bullpen's only gotten better, but. It almost kind of seems like they're going from a few years back to the Royals where they just need those starters to go four, five, six on a good night uh, innings and then just turn it over to the bullpen. Usually a good way, obviously, it worked against the Twins, but I mean, like you just said, if you line up against someone with the Astros who can hit no matter what, uh, you're probably going to run into problems. I'm kind of surprised they haven't addressed that yet. It's confusing to me as well. I thought that that would be one thing that they would go out there and do, but I think when you look at where they are kind of with their cap space, well, not cap space, but with their current on-the-books money and then what they'd like to do hopefully next year when you have Bryce Harper and Mike Trout available too, they're trying to stay you know, within that luxury tax area so that they're not paying out their butts uh, going forward. So I understand what they're doing. I just don't necessarily think that it's the right thing to do. But again, you're going to have Giancarlo stand until 2028, so he'll be probably the ripe old age of like 27 by then because he is a baby uh, in the whole scheme of baseball. But you look at what they're doing, um, and it's not hard to see that they're putting a lot of emphasis right now on their hitting. And I think that they're just going to try to swing 
any starter that's probably a slight upgrade over them. I don't know what they have in their farm system right now. I don't know if there's anybody else that's really going to come up and make a splash for them. But, again, we saw with a lot of teams, if you don't have the starters, twins from June through August, it's not going to be very good on your bullpen no matter how great they are, You know whether it's Tyler Robertson or is it David Robertson. David. David Robertson. Uh, Roll this Chapman, somebody who is a terrible human being and a very good baseball player, but still a terrible human being. They've got a lot of work cut out for them. So I don't envy the position yeah. of the Yankees pitching uh, by any stretch of the imagination. And again, high risk, high reward. And if that's the way that they want to play it, then that's fine. But at this point, I just don't see that being the way that they're going to get back to a World Series anytime soon. No, and I'm wondering, has there been any, like, I don't know, for lack of a better term, conspiracy theorists coming out saying that, oh, Jeter took over the Marlins and then all of a sudden they trade away Stanton to the Yankees? I'm it yeah. can just be a baseball move, but I'm just wondering if anyone's kind of like questioning that, being like, okay, what's going on here? Uh, if you would use Twitter ever, you would absolutely know that that happened immediately after the trade went down. Okay. I do not use the Twitters very yeah, well. I know. Or ever. Yeah. Or any real social media. Pretty much yes on all of those accounts. Uh, Unless it's Reddit, I suppose, but I don't know if that really technically counts as social media. Not in the same sense that we're talking right now. No. But, yeah, a lot of people came out and said it, whatever. Ultimately, I don't care because the Twins weren't going to get Giancarlo Stanton. So, either way, really doesn't matter to me. Uh, And, again, the Yankees are kind of boomer bust. They've always been big on power hitters, uh, but they really like their pitchers that were also on the gas. And, apparently, they're not finding enough of those guys to kind of, you know, keep bringing them back through the organization. Uh, John Heyman reported that the Mets of New York have signed Adrian Gonzalez who was a free agent at the time, so good for him, I guess. He didn't have the greatest 2017 campaign by any stretch of the imagination, but I imagine putting him in the Mets lineup that has some decent protection around him and really giving him another opportunity to kind of mash taters, which is what he's best known for, this might be a way for him to maybe milk another two- or three-year deal or maybe a two-year deal with a you know one-year extension or uh, option at the end of that. Ultimately, I just don't know how much longer Adrian Gonzalez has really made for this league. Uh, as much as I'd love to see him continue to hit like the elite player he was, I just don't know if he still has that in him yet. Yeah, because I remember his, I think it was his 2015 campaign. He started out just on fire and then just kind of fizzled out. But, I mean, he's getting older. It could have just been like more of a veteran move, come in, play, I don't know, 120, 130 games or so, and just kind of help some of the younger guys along. I know that they have, was it Lucas Duda, I think, that, they usually have at first base, but he's had some injury issues. So it could just be showing up some things. I think what's really surprising to me about the Mets this offseason is not really shopping any of their pitchers because we know that they also have a loaded uh, rotation. I think at one point last year, even the last two years, they've had a six-man rotation for a little while. So maybe shipping off one or two of those just to add some other pieces elsewhere. Uh, does that surprise you at all that they haven't made any pitching moves? Well, so part of it, too, is that Lucas Duda was traded last season to the Tampa Bay Rays. So if they're looking for a first baseman DH, then you've got somebody there that can fill in there. But it sounds like they're also considering bringing back Lucas Duda. I would assume to first base, have Adrian Gonzalez be the backup. I don't know. It, It confuses me what the Mets are doing ultimately. But, yeah, when it comes to pitching, 
the Mets have been very good when they're healthy, and health has been their biggest issue uh, going forward. I mean, they really didn't have a consistent starting rotation at all. They lost Noah Syndergaard, which killed my fantasy baseball team. Uh, Jacob DeGrom was hurt in and out of the season. Matt Harvey, I think, only pitched for like a month and a half total through the entire season, too. So it was not good for their pitching. And I think that would be something that they would want to address, considering their pitchers also have to hit in that side of the league. But I guess if you can pick up Adrian Gonzalez at a decent rate, not saying that his $21.5 million contract is a decent rate, but if you're assuming that he is going to be able to do something for your team, then there's no reason to think that he can't. One of the good things about Adrian Gonzalez is that he does have a 42.7 career war. Uh, Last year, not so great with a negative 1.2. But looking at his career stat line, he is a 288 hitter, slugging at 488, OPS plus of 130. So he definitely has the ability uh, to make some form of, I would say, 250-260 hitter, around 35 home runs, and we'll say 80-90 RBIs if he is going to be the starting first baseman. Uh, if he's going to split time with somebody, if they bring back, say, Lucas Duda, then you're probably looking more like 10 to 15 home runs, probably 45 to 60 RBIs. But again, if you're paying that much money for a guy that's going to start, say, 81 games in a season, that's not good. New, no, no, especially at that age. Yeah, it's going to it's gonna be interesting. We'll, we'll say that because the Mets have always just been kind of like, I feel like they've always had the like the lineup to do something, but it's either one thing or another, whether it's front office or just underperformance by the players themselves. They've always just kept them out. I know that they've had a couple of years where they've made decent runs in the playoffs, but they've never been able to seem to put it together really outside of 86. But that, I mean, there's a reason they call them the Miracle Mets. Well, and we can't forget Bobby Bonilla Day happens uh, once a year, too. So let's <laughs> let's talk about how the Mets have not been the greatest organization of all time. Um, yeah, but Bobby Bonilla has the greatest agent of all time. God, that's so good. Um, oh, I forgot that. Sorry, I forgot they got Jay Bruce. Oh, God. That, maybe that's what, maybe that's what I was thinking of. I think that's who you're thinking of. Either way. Yeah. Not uh, sure. Anywho. It doesn't matter. Uh, another thing that doesn't matter right now is Brad Hand because the Padres have assigned him to an extension. Uh, he is going to get a three-year contract worth $19.75 million pending a physical, and the Padres said the deal was reached yesterday, which is Saturday. We're recording on a Sunday, and it includes a fourth-year option. Brad Hand was 3-4 and four last year with 21 saves and a 2.16 ERA last season, which if you know how many games the Padres won, getting 21 <laughs> saves is about a third. <laughs> Of their wins on the season. So good for Brad Hand uh, for closing the door in the games that he was actually allowed to. Um, Hand and the Padres had agreed to a $3.6 million one-year deal Friday to avoid arbitration, but that had yet to be official and will be replaced by Saturday's long-term deal instead. So for the Twins, uh, they were a couple times, I guess, attached to Brad Hand at one point. So then would that be the wrist or the four? I'm kidding. I'm really... That's a that's a bad joke. Uh, I'm going to retire <laughs> after that. Yeah. But Minnesota Twins have obviously stepped up their bullpen. We're going to talk about that uh, in just a little bit. But I guess there's the one of us storyline with Brad Hand, uh, who is from Chaska, Minnesota. But outside of that, if you're the Padres, I don't know why you wouldn't try to extend him, why you wouldn't try to keep him, because he has the ability to be one of the elite closers in the game. 
And if he's willing to stay in San Diego and close the door for you, then by all means, you should give that man however much money he would like to. Yep, and as a Pods fan, I'm sure you're more than happy to see that happen. Well, you know, I feel like if he's not going to play in San Diego, he could come to Minnesota, be a factor here. Uh, outside of that, you know, those are kind of the two teams that I'd go for. I know that you're a Cubby guy uh, for your NL team, too, so you might want to see him over there. But either way, good for Brad Hand on getting an extension. Well worth it. Um, we're going to transition over to some Twins news. I think that's all we have. Or no, uh, Josh Donaldson, actually. Uh, signed a one-year, $23 million contract. It's the largest one-year one year deal for an arbitration-eligible player, uh, which means that he will have that this season going into next year. Uh, he's 32 years old, though. I can't believe he's still in arbitration. I think that's the thing that blew me away the most. But he is a three-time All-Star, so good for him. He is a 2015 American League MVP. $6 million raise. Not too terrible. No, I would so um, Wade Davis didn't he just sound like a three year fifty something million dollar ridiculous contract? Fuck Wade Davis. No, I don't know. Sure, good for <laughs> Wade Davis. Let's see, I'm Wade to, yeah, Davies. I'm trying to find the numbers. I think it was like a three year like fifty two million dollar deal. Three year fifty two million dollar deal with the Rockies. Yep, that's and it. it includes a vesting player option that can increase the value to four years and sixty six million if Davis finishes thirty games in 2020 and picks up his option they've spent so much money on the bullpen in this offseason because they just gave somebody else who's like i don't know a seventh or eighth inning guy 20 something million dollars for a handful of years too so i'm wondering is it they're just trying to make a run this year because they know they have the players or they just cannot develop anything out of the bullpen and they're just gonna have to suck it up and pay i mean probably both you and i have watched the twins for a very long time and just looking at the development of some of the pitchers and players that they've had, too, for as great as any one player might be touted, there are probably five or six that are equally as touted and don't make any impact whatsoever. Um, Joe Benson was a name that popped up in my timeline for, what, 2008, I think they were talking about the 2018 Twins' top prospects versus the 2008 top prospects. I want to say Joe Benson was in, like, the top three and that was 2008. I thought Joe Benson was going to be the center fielder of the future. And mm -hmm. Benson played like four games with the Twins total. So clearly he did not have what it took. Um, really that draft class across, you know, across the board. Um, I think Trevor Plouffe was probably one of the bigger names on, on that list. And he was ranked relatively low. Um, so again, it's very hard to know what a player is going to do at the major league level. And if you're able to spend the money and make something happen that way, then you might as well do it. Um, if you don't think you have anybody up and coming that's able to step up and take that spot and you're not going to block anybody from developing, then by all means, I think that you should do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, good for the Rockies. I've never – I think you and I are both pretty okay with the Rockies. Not I don't have any reason today. not to. I mean, that's where Michael Kadire and Justin Morneau both won their batting titles, so I don't think we can hate yeah. them too terribly much. No, not at all. Um. God, oh, God, I was just thinking about something, and I can't remember what it was. Um, I don't know. It's definitely escaped me. Anyways, uh, we're going to move on to twin stuff. Speaking of Justin Morneau, he's officially retired, which is sad, sad panda, but he's going to come back to the Minnesota Twins, and he's going to be a special assistant to the front office. So Justin Morneau, back with Torrey Hunter, 
Latroy Hawkins, Michael Kadire, and whoever else might be in that organization too. Um, but I'm really happy that Justin decided to come back to the Minnesota Twins that they offered him a role um, and that he accepted it too because to me, he is one of the most – I don't know who I'm more disappointed in the way their career ended, whether it's Johan Santana or Justin Morneau because both of them were so elite at what they were capable of doing for a very long time and in the case of Morneau, concussions are what really knocked him out of the game. No pun intended there. Um, and then with Johan Santana, he apparently just lost his elbow and his shoulder, uh, and he can't really throw a baseball anymore. But, I mean, with both of those guys, I really would have loved to have been able to talk about Justin Morneau going into this season, going, man, if he retires in the next year or two, is that going to be enough to get him into the Hall of Fame? And instead, we've had him play for the White Sox. And... <laughs> what the Rockies and the Pittsburgh Pirates along the way too uh, didn't play at all last season. So it's really unfortunate uh, the way that both of their careers ended, but, or I guess Johan Santana has not officially filed his retirement paperwork. Therefore he's not officially retired. If he does attempt to come back, I have no idea how that affects hall of fame voting this year either. Um, but again, happy to see Justin back and I'm hoping. Okay. So we're recording on Sunday. The Twins Daily Winter Meltdown is this upcoming Saturday, and they're going to announce who the special guest is tomorrow, which would be Monday. So you'll already know, but I'm really hoping that it's Justin Morneau because I would love the oh. opportunity to finally meet him. Could you imagine? I would lose it. With I the, would probably yeah. cry tears of joy. Uh, with the whole special assistant thing, I know that both LaTroy and Tori last year made their way into the booth. Is that part of it, do you think, or is it just kind of like, all right, yeah, I'll step in for like a game or two and just uh, – Give some words. Well, I think part of it is that Burt Blylevin is clearly transitioning to not carry that same workload. And you've yeah. got guys in the organization that were former players that can speak well enough that you can put them in there. Um, people really like Torrey Hunter. I love Jack Morris when he's in the booth, too. I think he does yes. a phenomenal job there. So I don't Absolutely know that. No nonsense. Right. And he's very intelligent, though. The thing I love mm -hmm. about Jack Morris is that he is no nonsense, but he's giving you some great insight into the game. And it's not, say, early Dan Gladden when he was the color guy for John Gordon, where he was very, like, strict by the book and cranky about everything that was, like, new and upcoming. Jack Morris gives a very, very good look at to what's going on on the field, and I think he does it with a little bit of tact, a little bit of intelligence, and I think that's the sign of him understanding you know, the role of being the color guy, but also understanding that the game has changed since he last played, and not necessarily accepting it, but at least being able intelligent enough to talk about it in a way that it doesn't offend fans of, you know, sabermetrics and all these other kind of things too, like some of these older ball players can be want to do. Yeah, they get a little bit crusty. Yeah. So I don't know if that's belief. any of the deal, you know, with Justin, but either way, you know, if Kadire gets a game here or there, Borneau gets a game here or there, I'm totally for it because I really like that they've got such a wide variety of players and, you know, players that have spanned probably what, nineteen ninety when did Latroy first start? Was it 21 like 93, or 93? I think it's yeah, been, like it was 92 or 93. Time. So you had players that started playing the game then going all the way up to 2015, 2016. Uh, so I think it's a good thing. And I hope absolutely that this also means that he's going to at least be inducted into the twins uh, hall of fame. What do they call theirs again? I can't remember. Not the ring <sighs> of honor. That's that stupid football team that has that. I think it's honestly just the twins hall of fame. Yeah. Either way, I like it. I'm totally okay with it. 
when it's all said and done. He also needs to go into the McDonald's commercial Hall of Fame <laughs> for the because that commercial is still one of the best local minute or McDonald's commercials of all time. With him and TC and lifting luckily, weights. Yes, and luckily it's on YouTube, so I can watch it yeah. like once a week. Um, another highly uh, underrated commercial was the Joe Nathan Joe Mauer wiffle ball in the basement. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> that was classic. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that I think I love the most about the twins from like say 2006 to 2010 is that their marketing department were so good at getting these out guys out there. Um, what was it? The Jim Tomey commercial where he was babe and he gave him like a small blue cow. Um, yep. <laughs> that was another great one too. There's just so many good ones. Um, and I think recently the marketing department has been doing a much better job too. Uh, of getting these guys back out there. But, I mean, that push kind of in the mid to late 2000s was absolutely brilliant across the board. And you have to remember, yeah, the, too, the Get to Know Him campaign. That, what was it? I think Justin Morneau was on the cover locally of one of the early copies of the show. Mm-hmm. I think it was like, what? I think nationally it was Prince Fielder. But then I think, like, in Minnesota, North Dakota, and South Dakota, or was it the Bigs? It might have been the Bigs. Prince Fielder yeah, was, was the cover big. athlete that year, uh, but Justin Morneau got a local run because I think it was around 2006 or seven. He'd won the AL MVP, so they gave him his own cover there. Um, and I almost bought the game just because of that because I'm like, well, it's Justin Morneau. I love the guy. Uh, but I also didn't want to spend $60 on a video game then either, so I did not get that. But if anybody has a copy that they don't want anymore, uh, I do know somebody that would definitely put it up on their shelf somewhere uh, with all the other Justin Morneau memorabilia that they have there too. The Ebays. The e- God, no. I don't want to give up my firstborn child that I probably won't ever have. Said <laughs> Minnesota Twins have agreed to five of the six players that were arbitration eligible. That would be Ere Adrianza for $1 million. Eduardo Escobar, God bless him, uh, $4.85 million. Robbie Grossman, $2 million. Uh, and again, People seem to be very hot and cold on Robbie Grossman for what the Twins got him for, signing him off waivers, and for what he's provided to this team. I don't know that there hasn't... I mean, between him and Eddie Escobar, those two have to be two of the better like value players that the team signed over the last couple seasons. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really happy to see Escobar. I think he got... What did you say he gets? 4.85? Yep, 4.85 for Eddie Escobar, $2 million for Robbie Grossman, Ryan Presley, $1.6 million, and my guy... Trevor May gets himself a little bit of a raise to $650,000 with a chance to start for the Minnesota Twins yeah. again, too. So I'm totally okay with all of those things. Uh, the only holdout is Kyle Gibson, who I believe had a phenomenal end to his 2017 campaign. Uh, MLB trade rumors projected Gibby at $5.3 million for 2018, uh, but I think it was even closer than that. I think it was, say, like, was it 4.5 versus like 4.2 that the Twins offered? So I think it was like $300,000 difference or something like that. Um, again, as of this recording, they have not settled that. So we'll have to see where that ends up. But when it's all said and done, I'm totally okay with everything that's going on. And I really think that Derek Falvey, Thad Levine, and Kyle Gibson will figure out something and hopefully avoid arbitration. One of the interesting things, too, is I think that the Twins haven't gone to arbitration since 2000. Was it five with Kyle Loesch, I think, was the last player that That's, went to arbitration. I was trying to remember if it was him or Garza. No, I think it was Loesch because okay. I saw a tweet that said it's something about the Kyles. So yep. that's what it was. But, yeah, uh, overall, 
definitely not disappointed by any of those things. Um, a lot of people are looking at maybe the amount of money that Trevor May is going to get. Obviously, with the injury last season, that definitely didn't help him any stretch. Uh, the injury in 2016 that kind of cost him about half the season wasn't any good there, too. So the fact that they're willing to give him a bit of a raise uh, and, again, that they're going to give him that opportunity to get back into the starting rotation, I think is, is going to be a very, very good thing. Absolutely. Yeah, it'll give him a little less time on the stream. Sorry, Pete. You won't get to see him as much. But, yeah, I mean, we both love him to see him get a full-on opportunity to go in. Because I know that last year they said that he'd have an opportunity to go for the starting rotation, but it never really seemed that way. They gave him, what, like a week-ish somewhere around there? It wasn't a whole lot of time. But, yeah, if we can get a – I mean, if he slides into the bullpen, we know that he's already had success there, so that's fine. But definitely giving him an opportunity to uh, slate into that starting rotation is something we really want to see. Well, yeah, so 2016 – he got, like, I think it was legitimately one start uh, in spring yeah. training as a starter. 2017, they were giving him a lot of opportunities to do so. Uh, unfortunately, he ended that season with Tommy John surgery before the season even broke camp. Um, and when it's when you start looking at where he could possibly land, I don't know that the bullpen is even an option for him right now, too. We're, we'll talk about that in just a little bit, but the bullpen is very loaded. At this point, there's not a whole lot of space. Um, so, again, I think that they really are planning on him being a starter. That doesn't mean that he might not go back to AAA uh, to sort some things out. That doesn't mean that he might not do a rehab stint in AA to get his season started. But when it's all said and done, I really think that they're looking at Trevor May to be a starter much more than, say, maybe even Terry Ryan did when he was the GM. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we know that they are kind of like the pitching whispers. So, Anywhere he lands, we know that we obviously wish him the best. We wish him success, but I, I would love to see him in the rotation. I know that, like you just said, that the bullpen is a little bit. But, yeah, I could definitely see him starting out maybe like a, a month, like kind of like a Brails last year, like just a little stint in AAA just to get everything back on track. I know that Brails wasn't technically hurt, but uh, it's probably been a while since Trevor has pitched in a live game scenario. So just a little bit of a tune-up, I guess, see where he's at, see where he's going. Um but yeah, to see him back in the rotation, he's always, we've always seen him make steps and strides. I mean, they may be very little strides, obviously. We've seen his first opening start. That did not go well. Actually, I don't think his first like three or four starts went very well professionally. But he's made strides. He's gotten better. And it's just more the health than anything that's kept him back from being the player that we think he can be. And I think there's a big reason, too, that they gave up on Alex Meyer when they did, and they still kept Trevor May through all of this, too. Now, there is something to be said about his stock not necessarily being that high, uh, kind of having you know one-and-a-half injury-riddled seasons. So the fact that he's still here might have something to do with the fact that there's not necessarily anybody else there that desperately wants him, but I think the fact that they haven't just said, no, you're going to stay in AAA until your contract's done or kind of let him go out to a different organization speaks volumes uh, of what they hope he can do, and I hope that uh, that patience is rewarded for Twins territory. Addison Reed, 29 years old, has 125 career saves on his career. He's joining the Twins on a two-year deal uh, worth just short of $17 million. Uh, and again, there was a little bit of concern over whether or not he would be the starter versus Fernando Rodney. Uh, but as far as the Twins are concerned, sounds like he's going to be the setup man, which is absolutely brilliant. Uh, and that's going to be very, very nice to see. So the Twins now have added Addison Reed, Fernando Rodney, and Zach Duke, all of them uh, very, very nice players and pieces. Uh, and they're going to join Alan Buznitz. 
Taylor Duffy, or Tyler Duffy, my apologies, Trevor Hildenberger, Ryan Presley, and Taylor Rogers in the bullpen. Uh, again, for the Addison Reed deal to be official, he needs to pass physical, and then they also need to remove somebody from the 40-man roster, which I imagine they will do. Uh, so that's left some debate as to who might get pulled off the 40-man roster. I'm not going to get into that right now because ultimately I think that whoever they pull off is probably going to be not as good as Addison Reed is going to be for the Twins, hopefully. And now you start looking at the bullpen that got a little taxed last season that maybe didn't have a clear-cut closer or necessarily have like certain roles etched in stone. If you have Addison Reed being the setup guy, uh, and then Fernando Rodney as the closer. Maybe Rodney just kind of falls apart at some point in the season two. Then you might have you know another option that I would still feel better about, say, Addison Reed being the closer than Matt Belisle. Yeah, I can see it kind of being like a Cleveland Indians situation where you just kind of switch off between, uh, who is it, Miller and Shaw, I think? Well, they've said that yeah. they're going to give Fernando Rodney the keys to the closer role, so they're not going to do the Cleveland yep. thing. No, I, well, yeah, but I'm saying just later on in the season, because, I mean, come July, who knows what our uh, bullpen could look like, just within, like, the realm of closing and stuff. Because if you look at Rodney last year, I think for the first month or so, he was just absolutely abysmal. And then for the next two months after that, I don't think he let up a run at all. So we know what we're getting in Fernando Rodney. Obviously, Falvey and the V know what we're getting in Fernando Rodney. So, I mean, if he starts out hot, I could see him keeping that closer role for quite a uh, quite a decent amount of time until I mean they give or he gives them a reason to pull him out. But even if that is the case, I mean like with the acquisitions and just the younger guys in the bullpen like Hildenberger, I we have plenty of options to slot in uh, left, right, and center depending on the matchups. And I think this is the way to build a bullpen and the way that they've gone about it. Uh, some value picks, some farm system. I mean, it's turning out to be a really competitive bullpen, which is something we haven't seen for quite some time. No, I mean, the last competitive bullpen that I can remember was probably Juan Rincon before we found out he was using steroids. Uh, Joe Nathan in that mix as well, too. Jesse Crane, who I absolutely hated, but he was also in that role for a bit as well. Um, this has the makings to be a very good Twins bullpen. I'm not going to say great. But very good is much better than slightly above average like they were last year uh, in a lot of stats that way. And again, if you look at the situation at hand, you've still got Jose Barrios, Irvin Santana, Kyle Gibson, Trevor May, kind of as the four starters slotted in. We don't really know what's happening with Phil Hughes right now. There's still hope and optimism that you Darvish will end up here or potentially Lance Lynn or Alex Cobb. Doesn't sound like the Twins are very interested in Jake Arrieta, which I'm totally okay with, but... Again, this could be a much different team while still having some very familiar faces in there, and I think that that's going to be a good thing. And, when you, again, we heard that Derek Falvey, Thad Levine were going to be the two that would be in charge uh, of the Twins' on-field product. The two things that they talked about were how smart they were with analytics and also the fact, too, that these guys understood pitching better than even a lot of people that have been in the game uh, for decades understand pitching. And when you start to look at some of the deals that they put together and some of the players that they've brought in, you really start to get an idea of how much they can do for a team if they're given the keys to the castle. Yeah, I can't wait to see. Uh, I saw a thread the other day of you, Darvish, going back and forth on Twitter with a Yankees fan who was did not seem all too pleased that like Darvish wasn't pushing for it. And I know that, do we hate the Yankees? Yes, but I think it's more so the fan base that we hate more than anything. Just that sense of, I don't know, gimme, 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 we deserve this, and if you don't want to be here, fine, screw you then. But 
Yeah, Darvish, I think, is still probably the best free agent that's on the market right now. Uh, Arietta, I think I read somewhere there were talks for him to go to, if I remember correctly, it was St. Louis, but that doesn't seem right in my head because, I mean, St. Louis and Chicago is a huge rivalry, and I don't think he would trade them. But, yeah, if we could have Darvish as the, or slotting in that top five, that'd be absolutely brilliant. Not going to complain with that deal one bit, and I think a lot of Twins fans echo that same sentiment. So hopefully uh, it comes to fruition, and we'll see if that's the case. I threw it out there, Dan, for questions. We've got Twins questions. We've got wild questions. We're going to get to all of those coming up next. Uh, but first, got to go find our old friend Barry Campbell, who's probably out wandering around uh, because he is old. So, again, old friend has two meanings. Uh, and, again, we need to get him back to the old folks' home. Wheel of Fortune comes on in a couple minutes, and it's probably dinner time for him as well, too. Uh, but that's coming up next. We're going to talk wild hockey here on Twins and Losses Super Show, part of the 4D Podcast Network. See him through the smoke So hard to be patient Then his eyes lock with mine We running out of time Killing him go so easily I wanna feel him breathe I want his hands on me You know that's just one thing I need You know that's just one thing I need You know that's just one thing I need
What up? This is Ben Kwam from Sounds Good, and you're listening to the Twins and Losses Super Show right here on the 4D Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Twins and Losses Super Show, part of the 4D Podcast Network. I don't know what we're going to call this segment. We're going to call it something. It's going to be fun because we've got our friend Barry Campbell back uh, for the first time in quite some time, actually, Barry. And it's been a while since you've been on. We haven't had an opportunity to talk about the Minnesota Wild, but we're going to do that today. And I think it's great, too, because the Wild have their upcoming off week, so we're not going to miss anything when we talk about it. Just the game later this evening, uh, again, recording on a Sunday. We are part of the 4D Podcast Network, and if you would like, you can find Barry on Twitter at BJVCampbell uh, and get all of his wild insight there if you would like to. Barry, how are you? Doing great. It is so exciting to be uh, back on with you guys. It has been way too long. It's been way too long. I think it's been almost a whole year uh, since the last I time know. we had you on the show. And we had Joe and Tony from Hockey Wilderness on as well, too. Both of them absolutely brilliant. Uh, and even got a little Twins conversation with them as well. But you are also a Twins fan. You're also a big Wild fan. Uh, but this season, we start to look at the Minnesota Wild. And I think one of the things that you could say about the season is that it's been unpredictable. Um you thought that this team that would return most of the same players across the board would still be in contention to be in the lead for the most points in the NHL, but it seems like depth was a big issue in the injuries that they've had throughout this season uh, to Devin Dubnik, Zach Parise, Nino Niederreiter, a lot of people, Charlie Coyle as well. And the depth and the veteran presence that, say, Jason Pominville provided no longer available to the team. Uh, so it kind of feels like they're just throwing some guys in there, too. Uh, as much as you and I love Jonas Brodeen, he's had a very rough season uh, across the board as well. And Matt Dumba had a very rough month and a half to start the season, but now he's really starting to get it together and playing like I think a lot of people have talked about him being able to play at consistently uh, for some time, too. So when we kind of look at the first, I guess, three-fifths of the season, what's been the biggest reasons for the Wilds' either success or lack of success at this point? Yeah, I think you, you hit a couple of the things that I would I would definitely trigger. I mean, it's been an unpredictable season in the fact that you just you don't know what the identity of this team is quite yet. They, they really haven't figured out how to play on the road. Um, but contributing factors, yeah, the, the injury bug's been everywhere. A couple of the guys that you missed being hurt as uh, Mikhail Granlund was out for a few games, and I think the one that hurt him the most, besides Dubnik, um, and we, we'll, we'll get back to that, but uh, was Jared Spurgeon. Um, the, that guy just, he, he keeps getting better. Um, so when you when you lose a guy like that, uh, it, it really sets you back, and, and they really struggled with without him in the lineup. So the injury bug has certainly been big. Um, but another thing that they did was, you know, they lost Scott Stevens and their 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 coach, um, and their their defense really showed it in the first uh, the first several, you know, the first couple of months. Really, they really didn't figure out the the defensive scheme, and they're they're starting to get it. Um, but I think they're playing a different uh, trap game in in the neutral zone, which certainly affected them. Um, and it took them about a month to really get Boudreaux's system down last year, but it's taken them longer to kind of adapt to. Uh, the way they break out of the zone this year. And I think the biggest defensive struggle that they've had is, for whatever reason, uh, 
Jonas Berdine and Matt Dumba on paper should be the best uh, team of of defenders because Jonas Berdine is such a pure stay-at-home defender and he's so skilled at that. And Dumba can join the rush and score goals, but for whatever reason, they have absolutely no chemistry. They have not figured out how to play together, and it has been a real problem for this team. It's been frustrating to watch because, again, you think that both of these guys, highly regarded prospects, able to play defense, able to score a little bit. Uh, again, obviously, Dumba the more offensive-minded and Brodeen the more defensive-minded of the two. But in terms of them, they're just oil and water. And for whatever reason, they continue to try to trot this line out more often than not. And if this is your second pair, which would factor to get about you know anywhere from 15 to 20-some minutes of ice time, and they're not getting it done, that's not helping this team when you've got some forwards now that aren't necessarily playing that same level of defense that they had the past couple of seasons. Yeah, and part of the problem is that the third pair hasn't been good at all. It's been a rotating cast to have gone through several players. You've cut a guy. You've you've played, and one of the guys that's played the best on the third pair has been a guy that's now buried in Iowa, Ryan Murphy. So you know you've claimed a Nate Prosser. You brought him back for the second time. Um, it, it's been kind of a mess. So you've really had Boudreaux really force his hand. Now I will say, uh, and, and you and I have both talked about how we're not the biggest Dumba apologists, but he looked the best this year when he was playing beside Suter. Um, not to say that Suter's game necessarily was elevated in that condition, but Dumba really did look like a competent defender as well as an offensive presence during that time. Why he doesn't look the same with Jonas Brodine escapes me. And, and Brodine hasn't had as terrible a season if you look at the stats. It's just that that, that pairing has just it's made them look bad, worse than they both are. Um, so it's really an interesting thing, and I think Boudreaux is stuck making those guys work together. Uh, Ryan Suter does not like to play with Matt Dumba. He said it in the in the you know in the press and the public, and so it's it you can see that his game isn't quite at the same level. So Boudreaux does uh, always like to run Spurgeon out with Suter, though I thought the best the optimal lineup and the way that they were all playing best as a group was when Spurgeon was just coming back from his injury, and Dumba played a couple of games with Suter on the top pair, and Brodeen and, and Spurgeon played together on the second pair. That that actually worked really well. We start looking at the standings now. I think there's about 36, 35 games left in the season, and you've got Winnipeg, Nashville, and St. Louis at the top of the Central right now. Winnipeg has 59 points, Nashville uh, 56 points, St. Louis 55 points, and then Minnesota uh, at one point was at the very bottom of the division, which didn't look so great. Uh, but in their last 10 games, not including today's game, they are 6-3-1. and one. So they are slowly starting to get that together. And ultimately, they do have 52 points. And now they're a positive in their plus-minus goal differential at a positive three, which means they are ahead of Dallas right now, which has a plus-11 differential. San Jose Sharks have plus-5. Chicago, plus-17. And Colorado Avalanche, I think, has been the biggest surprise this season. Uh, with plus 14, Anaheim, Edmonton, Vancouver, and Arizona. Uh, some of those teams part of the Pacific Division, not doing very well in that regard. So right now, the Minnesota Wild at least have a spot in the wild card. You'd like to see them move up a little bit more, kind of add some more buffer there uh, as well. But the fact that we're talking about the Minnesota Wild in the wild card situation right now, uh, I think has even more to do with the fact that Winnipeg, has surprised everybody with how good they've been. Obviously, Nashville made it to the Stanley Cup Finals last year. Uh, the Blues have been a relatively good competitive team, but we also look at how poorly Chicago's played this season, too. 
And there's a lot of factors going in right now that have the Wild kind of right where they are, but there's a lot of teams within striking distance one way or the other in the Central Division too. Yeah, it's a tough year. I mean, this is a tough division, and everybody expected this division to be like this last year. And then Dallas fell way off, and Winnipeg wasn't as good as promised. And, you know, there were a couple of problems, and the Avalanche had been terrible for a while. Well, guess what? Every single team has found a way to address some of the issues that they've had. And the Wild didn't really have many issues last year, so they didn't really address much. They did make a couple of moves as far as payroll goes, but they didn't necessarily strengthen the team. Uh, Nashville just continued on its on its pace. But Chicago fell off, and we kind of expected them to. Um, you know, they've been playing the salary cap game, and, and when you've been so dominant with such great players for so long, it's going to catch up to you eventually, and I think that's finally what's happening to them. They're just not as deep this year as they've been in the past. They've had to go away from some of their, their high-talented defensemen, and uh, Corey Crawford's been hurt, and... Um, so there, there's a few things going on there that I don't, I don't know that they'll be over to, able to overcome that. However, it's Chicago. You never know. They still have Patrick Kane and one of the most dastardly players in the league that can surprise anyone on a given night and take over a game. And they keep trading for good players. They just got uh, Anthony Duclair for Richard Panic. So that's, it's really, you know, they, they keep finding creative ways to keep bringing guys back. So I won't count them out. Um, the Avalanche traded away a problem in, in Ryan Duchesne, and all of a sudden they started figuring out how to play hockey. He was such uh, a bad presence in the locker room that it really destroyed that team for a long time, and I can't believe they didn't move him before now. And the results since have, have absolutely surprised me, and they're a tough and fast team. They're, I, I'd watch out for them, and you know, not just this year, because I think they, they're, they're pretty far down there this year, so they have a lot to overcome, but they're playing well. Um, the St. Louis Blues... Now, one thing that they're experiencing for the first time is their first January swoon, a la Mike Yo, <laughs> <laughs> which we're all too familiar with. Um, so I, I, I was commenting about that the other night on Twitter, and and there was a little bit of a reaction and wonder wondering if St. Louis fans are ready for their their January swoon. So, uh, legitimately, if the Wild keep playing the way that they are right now, they they could they could catch up to the Blues no problem in this month. Uh, because I think the Blues are, are just regressing. They played great at the beginning of the year. Um, I, I, I think Dallas is a middling team still. I don't think they know their identity. They did get better. They, they addressed their goaltending. Uh, ben Bishop has been a force for them, but they've had some trouble on the offensive side this year, and Martin Hansel has been really disappointing for them. Um, we know what that's like as well here in Minnesota. <laughs> he just isn't producing. So uh, you look top to bottom. Every team in this division is tough. Um they're the only other surprise in the Western Conference has been Vegas, which is a brand new team and they're leading their division. But there's been a couple of surprises in the Central, so it, it's just it's, there's there's so much going on. There's not a lot of parity. Every team is really good, so it is. It's going to be a tough year, and and the Wild do seem kind of like they are destined to either go on a run right now and prove that they're not a bubble team, or we're going to be questioning whether they're going to make the playoffs to the end of the season. It's been interesting. I think one of the things for me is that when you look at at least the Vegas Golden Knights, who have the most obnoxious social media presence out there, uh, and they are officially muted. They've been muted for quite some time, and I might just give them a full-on block at some point. But outside of that, the one thing that I want to caution everybody is not the fact, like, I don't care what state or what area gets a hockey team, because the more hockey teams out there, the better for me. The health of the NHL is going to be much better because of that. Uh, again, sounds like they're thinking about some expansion teams again. Totally for it. Don't care if it's warm weather. Don't care if it's cold weather. Not going to be that guy. The thing with the Vegas Golden Knights is that they are over-exceeding to such an extent 
that I still don't know how that's going to come into effect when it when playoffs come around because we know that there are teams that maybe middle around 500 for a season, but they still make it into the postseason, and then they're a totally different team. We've seen it time and time again where teams have limped into the postseason, but because they've got those guys that have been there, they're experienced, it's almost like they do just enough to get in, and once they get in, they start to make some noise. I mean, you think about the Detroit Red Wings for the longest time, Never necessarily a team that you would go, yeah, they're probably going to win it all this year, but they would get into the postseason and all of a sudden you go, mm, that's why they made it you know, 23 years in a row. <laughs> Vegas is, is such a different animal uh, than other expansion teams. They were given a different kind of gift as far as the rules for the expansion draft. They were asked to post a $500 million entry fee, which is you know record-shattering, uh, especially when it comes to the NHL. And then uh, the way that the teams had to protect their players, they were forced to really give up a good player. And you saw a lot of really good players um, and a lot of moves to protect certain players. So it was a really interesting expansion draft. And I've never seen so much speculation and I've never spent so much time uh, on any sport that I've ever studied uh, getting ready for such an event. Um, so Vegas ended up with just an incredible roster of really good players. And, you know, some of them were misfits from their teams that they were on, but there's some really quality players, uh, starting with their goalie, Marc-Andre Fleury, um, who you know has been the backbone of, and really got them off to a hot start by his, his great play. But um, that team's really, really gelled. Um, and you get guys like James Neal, who's having a career year in you know, a new location. And it, it's, it's just been a really interesting thing to watch. Um, the Wild clearly missed both of the players that they, they gave away. Now what, what they did is traded the rights to Eric Howa, uh, or asked Vegas to go ahead and draft Eric Holla in the expansion draft, but we gave him Alex Tuck in order to do that so that they would stay away from all of our defensemen. Um, you know, we don't know if Vegas would have taken Dumba or uh, Brodine or Scandella, you know, or but they stayed away from Eric Stahl and they stayed away from, from the defensemen. Um, so Vegas just, they're, they're such an interesting case study. Um, I don't know what they'll do once they get to the playoffs, but they've really come together as a team. Um, so, and then you're talking about teams like the Red Wings and like I kind of referenced Chicago earlier is they, they always find a way to make it into the playoffs. Um, so they're always really dangerous when you get there. Um, Chicago seems to just kind of hover around during the season, do enough to get there. And then all of a sudden they're the best team. So, you know, there, there's a number of teams that, uh, could do something like that. I hope that we actually don't see Chicago in the playoffs for the first time. I think on paper, I was kind of expecting them to take that deep dive uh, down the, the rankings this year. And we're actually seeing it for the first time. I've said it for a couple of years in a row, but this year it's finally actually happened. Um, but yeah, you know, the, there's a lot of teams that you always see. You always see the ducks. You always see the sharks and you know, the, the ducks are getting back into to contention spot. The sharks are regressing. Uh, the West is kind of in shambles. So that's why Vegas has also been able to, to rise to the top. Lots of great information from Barry Campbell. As always, find him on Twitter at BJV Campbell. And you can tweet him, whatever you would like to. Uh, I like to start with hockey jokes uh, and then also the fact that Barry is much older than myself. Uh, those jokes as well, too. I threw it out on social media across the board uh, to get some questions in regarding the Minnesota Twins and also the Minnesota Wild. And I've been playing a game with Ben Remington from Giles and the Goalie, part of zone coverage as well, where every time they have a mailbag, you know, either podcast or an article, whatever the case is, I literally throw any question I can think of out there. Um, and Ben was kind enough to return the favor this time. So when I checked last, I think there were about 53, 54 comments. 
Not all of them had to do with hockey and the Twins, but we're going to get to those right now. So Barry and Dan, this is where I need both of you to kind of step up right now. Barry, do you think Chuck Fletcher should be fired or given one more year to make our lives a living hell? Uh, That's from Ben Remington, at Ben Remington on Twitter. Yeah, I, I man, I struggle with this, and I know there's a lot of people really calling for Chuck's head. Uh, certainly, the the moves that he made this offseason didn't improve the team, but he was in a tough spot. He was able to re-sign you know Niederreiter and Kyle Granlund, which was absolutely essential. He did trade away Jason Pominville and get rid of that awful contract, but in doing so, he also lost Marco Scandella, who's been you know up and down a little bit the last couple of years, but still a really important member of the team. Um, and Pommaville has been way better than people have given him credit for. If he would have been here and played third line minutes this year, he'd have been really, really good. It's just people didn't like that. His salary cap hit was 5.6 million. Uh, he's the reason we couldn't have capped Eric Howla. Um, and then we got Tyler Ennis's bad contract back. So essentially we traded away Pommaville and Scandella and got back Tyler Ennis, Marcus Foligno, and about a $1.6 million in salary cap space, which allowed us to, to re-sign the guys that we needed to. We're up against the cap all year. So do I give him a great report card for this year? No. Um, I, 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 I think he did what he could. Um, I think that it wasn't – I'm not amazed by his moves. He's certainly not as creative as uh, what we see Chicago do year in and year out and keep getting these guys in and out. Um and he's made some dumb moves. I, I certainly, you know, giving no movement contracts to to several other players. But my only concern with moving on from Chuck Fletcher is there is some kind of window open for this team right now. And if you do that, you tend to send your team into a rebuild by by changing out the GM. And this team isn't a rebuild in, in a rebuild situation. They're they're a couple of moves away, uh, a big trade or two away from making you know something happen now. The other problem is they're also stuck with the Parisian suitor contracts, which are already starting to not maybe see their value. Now, Suter's fine. I think he's worth what we're paying him. Um, he's he's still uh, a very predictable, very sturdy defender. Parisi's been hurt all year. Um, so that's been hard, and we've, we've navigated around it. But I'm not really part of the Fire Fletcher camp. We should have done it a couple of years ago if we were going to do it. Um, however... At this point, you kind of got to stay the course until you get to the point where you know the window's closed. This isn't so much a question as it is a comment. Uh, this comes from Aaron Holm, and he says, Barry, what a dork that guy is. So you, Yeah, Aaron would know. Yeah, I've worked with Aaron for a long time well, at Hockey Wilderness. So. I mean, the two of you <laughs> together, though, I think would probably be well, well old enough to get uh, Social Security and the Early Bird Specials, uh, your favorite restaurants. We are official members of the Get Off My Lawn Club. You and you inducted me into that uh, last year, so I am now I did. a member Welcome. of that. Dan will be in uh, this upcoming year, too. Oh, Dan, we'll have to have a uh, celebration. How old do I have to be? 30. I am 30. Oh, welcome. Well, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. You're only a year younger than me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see. This next one is from Ben Remington as well. Can the Twins and Wild team up? to take out the Vikings in this media market like a handicap match, or is K-Fan Vince McMahon, owner of the WWE, and the Vikings are shitty Roman Reigns, the next John Cena, the next Triple H, the next Rock, the next Stone Cold Steve Austin? <clears throat> uh, would either of you two like to weigh into that, or should I take this one? I have nothing that I can contribute other than just complete nonsense. <laughs> Go ahead, Pete. Um, 
I would love to see it happen, but I feel like this would be Rhino and Heath Slater right now trying to toughen each other up and getting put into these uh, ridiculous super matches right now where they just constantly keep getting stomped out. As much as I would love to see the Twins in the Wild overtake the Purple in the state of Minnesota, uh, 9 to noon and some other things, uh, other contributing factors out there, just probably not going to happen anytime soon. I mean, if you can't lose favor for what uh, Mike Prefer said, uh, the comments that he made allegedly, according to Chris Cluey, also the fact that Adrian Peterson was indicted for child abuse in the state of fucking Texas, and people still love this team. I don't really know what's going to change that. Um, yeah. If yeah, this it, was a presidential election, it would be like the Vikings or Trump. They can say whatever they want and feel no no pain from it. Uh, the Twins are kind of like Hillary, like they should win because you know they've been they they have such a great history here. They've actually won uh, a championship. And in the wild to be like Bernie, they've got all the support from the fans, but they can only grow so big only when they're winning, though, because uh, after right, that. Right. That's true. And, and fair weather yeah. hockey fans. Yeah. Um, next one. Also from Ben Remington. Barry, how much is Marcus Foligno really worth? I struggle with this. Now, if I were to base that on what we saw from him in last night's game, uh, he had six shots on goal in the first period, equaling his total game uh, high forever. But so far, he hasn't shown me a whole lot because, and I do think he's he's got a problem. He, you know, he broke his cheekbone in the first few games of the season, and he he really hasn't been the same player that we saw even in the preseason since then. But right now, he's certainly not living up to his cap hit for me. Uh, right now, he's two point eight million dollar cap hit, um, and he's uh, at best a third line player and has spent a lot of time on the fourth line this year. So, to me, he's a, he's a two million dollar max player earning a much bigger paycheck. This next question comes from Ben Remington. Barry, please tell Pete, that's me, that Matt Dumba is actually good. Thank you. Uh, to which I replied, you're going to be disappointed by this answer. And then you said, yes, yeah, sorry, can't really help you there. Ben said, you're now dead to him. Uh, I did the shruggy emoji. And Tony from Hockey Wilderness said, please be bullied into accepting my religious beliefs, Barry. Uh, to which Chris, uh, what, Left Shark Nelson or whatever his name is now on Twitter, uh, posted a gif of Dumba getting blown up by Patrick Kane. So that's yeah. how that went, uh, and I think that's probably where we'll leave that conversation for right now. Yeah, probably. It's it's kind of like the gang fights in uh, Anchorman. Yeah. Oh, God, <laughs> I would love to do that. Could you imagine? But guys, two goals yesterday. Hey, oh, God damn, oh, Dan. You had, to, you had to go there. <laughs> well, he did that, too, like a couple weeks ago on top of it, too, after Barry and I had been – complaining about him for one reason or another too so you know what fuck it i don't care anymore um this one also comes from ben remington what's your favorite wild podcast that features a stereotypical heavy drinking sports writer and a stereotypical mentally unbalanced goaltender uh to which i would say the former talk to contact featuring the place brothers uh uh, what was it cody christie and jake horn Ooh. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Dan? Do you have a podcast uh, that you know follows these guidelines that you'd throw out there? I I sorely miss Talk to Contact very much. I'm glad that we can still interact with them on Twitter. But guys, if you can, if you're listening, which Paul, you better be. Please bring it back, if just for like a reunion tour. We're gonna. We're. I've been trying to get a damn reunion tour on our show. Get four of those guys, yeah. uh, but they all got lives and wives and shit like that too. So I mean, it's like. I mean, why, why would you do that? You could just talk on a podcast instead. And, you know, it's cool. I don't have crushing loneliness <laughs> in my life. Um, anyways, 
There was uh, a couple Twins questions in here as well, so we're going to get to those next. Uh, this one does come from Ben Remington. Do you think the Twins should move on from Miguel Sano due to his sexual assault allegations or because he's fat or because he strikes out a lot, uh, to which I would reply, all three of them seem like valid reasons to move on from Miguel Sano. I would be okay with shipping him and Steven Gonzalez for Chris Archer. Lord knows it probably wouldn't happen, but come on, baseball gods. I mean, I wanted the whole thing of Miguel Sano for Josh Donaldson straight up, but they signed him to that yep. deal, so that that kind of died too. Uh, what about you, Barry? What, where, where are you with Miguel Sano on the Twins? You know, I think that he's that type of player that we have a lot of people that can play in his position so that you'd think that there would be some kind of good trade that we could work out to ship him out of this town. I don't know what that would be. I, I really can't can't pitch that. I haven't looked at salaries and projections enough, but uh, yeah, I mean we've got we've got other heavy hitters in the lineup, and yeah, he's going to be a good baseball player that puts up a lot of stats. But it's okay if he moves on from the Twins organization. Yep, I completely agree in that regard. Uh, this next question comes from Ben Remington: If the Twins land you Darvish or trade for another frontline starter, can they compete for the Central Crown? Uh, Dan, I'll let you start with this one. Do you think the Twins would compete if they had you, Darvish, or another, I guess, Jake Arrieta, Lance Lynn, Alex Cobb? Compete, yes, but as it stands right now, I just think the Indians are just a little bit better than us. I mean, maybe it takes them faltering a little bit or a big injury on their side. Not hoping for that, but that or we play absolutely out of our minds like this team is just actually better than we ever thought it was that i can see but as of right now i still give the slight edge to the indians in the central well you got to think about this too they had a lot of key personnel hurt throughout last season jason kipnis andrew miller um i mean there's a couple other guys in there too that i'm probably forgetting as well that were all big players the only thing that really changed with that team to this from last year to this season is that carlos santana is gone uh, what was not who I, we talked about him last time. I couldn't remember what his name is then. Can't remember what his name is now either. Um, so that would be the only downgrade. So again, I would love to see the twins compete and I think they could compete, but ultimately I think that the Indians at this time just have that depth that the twins don't quite have. And that when you look at that depth too, that that's really been one of the reasons why they've been, you know, factored to be, a World Series contender when October rolls around. And as much as I love Molly, I have to give the slight edge to Terry Francona as well as like a better manager than we, we have. But he let guys drink in the locker room and say naughty words or whatever it was that got him outed. He also has World Series rings from, manager, from managing. You know what, Dan? So does <laughs> Tom Kelly. So fuck you. <laughs> yeah, but Tom Kelly has one of the best baseball photographs of all time he absolutely does and you know which one we're talking about so we don't need to describe it for you nope. we've got another question from ben remington have analytics sucked the fun out of baseball discussion for the casual fan yes yes they have and in fact advanced stats across the board have sucked the fun out of every possible sport for the casual fan because you have people like bloggers podcasters sports writers that want to evaluate players at a much higher level. Then you have your casual fans that just enjoy watching the sport. So for them, they're still going to look at things like wins and losses, batting average, um, stats that the fans of Sabermetrics and other advanced stats don't necessarily like. And they're going to go on a lot of eye tests as well, uh, which bloggers and podcasters and writers also don't like too. So if you are a casual fan, I'm sorry, 
especially if you're out at a bar and you happen to be sitting next to a guy that's big into sabermetrics. Um, again, I have nothing against advanced stats whatsoever, but I also know that for someone like my father, who is just a fan of baseball, not necessarily like in-depth fan, I'm not going to sit down and talk about war and OPS and all of these other stats too because ultimately it's going to go over his head and he doesn't care because he's still going to say, oh, I like Joe Maurer because he plays baseball good. Cool. Great. I don't care. If somebody likes a sport, let them enjoy the sport. Again, it's the whole thing of being a gatekeeper. You can have sabermetric talks and advanced stat talks with your friends, with the people you know that write or blog or podcast if that's what they're into. But if they're not, just let them enjoy the sport for what it is because ultimately we want people to watch our sport. We want them to appreciate it for whatever reason they do. And again, for as much as I don't like wins and losses, I'm not going to tell somebody that you can't like that stat if they just go to a game and they're asking questions about it. If they say, well, why don't you like wins and losses? I'll tell them why. But ultimately, let fans appreciate the game and spend their money and do that. Because again, if you want to overthrow the Vikings as being the number one sports team in the state, you have to do it by bringing in as many people as you can, not pushing people away. Yeah, I think that uh, advanced stats is kind of the gateway between being a casual fan and, and being more than that. Um, you know, I, I understand some advanced stats in, in hockey, but uh, I, I'm a blogger and a podcaster, so uh, I fit into that. And I think, you know, obviously the three of us do. Um, but that is that seems to be what's what's different. My dad, who's a, a, a huge hockey fan, we go to a lot of games together. We watch a lot of games. We send hundreds of text messages during most games. Uh, he doesn't really care about Corsi when it comes down to it. But if I can use it to explain something to him that's predictive, he might get into it for about 30 seconds, but he doesn't go out and, and try to learn about it either. So he's I would even call him more than a casual fan, and he still doesn't like advanced statistics. <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't shock me about your dad one bit, if I'm being entirely honest. We've got (laughs) another question from Ben Remington. Why did the Twins insist on having piss yellow in their color palette still? Uh, I think what Ben was referring to is Casota Gold. But I don't know. Gold's got to go, too. So bad. The the Casota Gold is awful. The yellow color that they have is awful as well, too. They need to go back to the blue, red, white, gray. And just leave it like that. You know, I get that you want to update things. You need to get merchandise off the shelves and everything too. But when it's all said and done, to me, my favorite jersey combos, and this is probably sacrilegious for many people, uh, but my favorite jersey combos were the road grays that the Twins had from like, what was it, 87 till about 2009 or so. And then they kind of changed, you know, a little bit in there too. Uh, And then I absolutely love those home whites that the Twins had for a very long time. Uh, with the pinstripes on them, big old twins on the front of it too. Uh, those two jerseys would probably be my home and road choices if I were ever given the keys to deciding what jerseys the twins would wear more nights. Those like, crazy I still you're like, talking about. Oh, sorry, go, go, ahead. go ahead, Barry. I, I still really like the dark blues too. That That's always been my favorite jersey. Uh, from the, the 2000s? Yes. Yep. And I do. And I'm. I also am a proponent of the TC logo over the M logo. But I know Pete, you feel differently. I. You can have both. But yes. You, agreed. M on the road because it's Minnesota. TC at home because TC has nothing to do with Twins. Twin Cities. Okay, that's stupid. They're Minnesota Twins. Outside of that, TC at home. M on the road. I'm totally fine with that. Because for people that don't know, home jerseys always have the name of the team. 
and the road jerseys have where they're from. So whether it's Chicago, Minnesota, Winnipeg, Toronto, whatever the case is, that's how it works. I'm a big fan of home whites, road grays, or you know the road color jerseys there. But yeah, I, I, I you can have both of those logos. I don't understand why every so often they decide we're not going to have the M. Why why not have the TC? The TC's dumb. It looks like Texas with Cincinnati mixed together. Boom, you have a stupid logo. Fuck you. <laughs> Get off my lawn, Pete. <laughs> That's that's old school. That's why I like it. Yeah. I'm traditional. But I would love to hear what Dan thinks because I bet you have a different take on it too. Well, Jazz yes, Pete knows my favorite are like those, I don't know, the retro throwback 60s ones, the cream, by far and away my favorite. But I also am a proponent of the – Pete, the gray ones I'm assuming you're talking about are like the ones with the red Minnesota across the front, right? Yep, red Minnesota yep. with like the black pinstripe on the gray jersey. Yep, yeah. Which I'm totally fine with, too. And, I mean, I know that they'd bring them out every once in a while, but, God, those baby blue jerseys are pretty. They are. Unless it's Eddie Rosario, but looks like he's wearing his dad's, like, the last time they did it. Because <laughs> that jersey was, like, six sizes too big. Yeah, that was, that was yeah, pretty Yeah, those funny. baby blues, they bring me back to the Metrodome. Dang. Yeah. Those are, hey, are you guys old enough to remember the Metrodome? Yes, Barold. <laughs> uh, the Metrodome was only, what, four years old when I was born, so I'll let you do the math on that. <laughs> and my dad actually worked on it, which is hilarious because he was on top of like the I don't know the inflatable part, and he is terrified of heights. Yeah. So I... seeing pictures of him up there, like you can just see it in his face. It's just the I don't want to be here right now. Yeah, I totally get that part of it too. I I wouldn't like that so much. Um, this one coming from Derek Felks or Felska on Twitter at Crease and Assist. If the Minnesota Wild were a Star Wars movie character. Which one would they be? And if the Minnesota Wild were a Star Wars movie, which one would they be? Uh, I would say that the Wild would probably be a Lando Calrissian if they were a character because they're important, but they just can't really ever seem to get it done when it's all said and done. Or So maybe actually not even Lando because he blew up second Death Star. Spoiler alert, uh, Lando Calrissian blew up the second Death Star with the help of Wedge Antilles. Um I do like that pick though because the Wild do seem to come through in the clutch. You know, they they when the odds are really stacked against them, they they still tend to make the playoffs and and do crazy things. You know, they put themselves in a bad position. You know, just like Lando did by messing with Vader and and you know handing over his his friend Han, and then he had to pay the piper later. And that's kind of what the Wild do too. They stall in the first half, and then all of a sudden they'll go on a run in the second half and and make it into the playoffs. Anyways, that's a really good pick. All right. So Barry agrees with that. Dan, what about you? I Between the both of your arguments, that's the most solid one that I can do, unless I want to troll and say Jar Jar Binks, but I'm not doing that. <laughs> like the wild. Uh, and I guess Star Wars movie, I'd probably give them Revenge of the Sith. Not awful, not great, uh, but some redeeming qualities, and I think the probably last quarter of the movie uh, was easily the best part of any of the trilogy outside of possibly the Qui-Gon Jinn, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Darth Maul lightsaber fight uh, on Naboo. But, yeah, I-, I would say probably Revenge of the Sith because it's a movie that you probably like. Whether or not you want to admit it, you'll watch it way more than you would Attack of the Clones or The Phantom Menace. But it's never going to be the first choice. You know, if they go, hey, do you want to watch a Star Wars movie? You're not going to be the guy that says Revenge of the Sith, especially around some of your friends, because they're going to go, are you drunk? Have you been doing drugs? Did your parents recently drop you on your head? Like, what? What is your problem? I'm gonna I'm gonna go a different direction with this question. I'm gonna go with Episode Five, 
the Empire Strikes Back. And let's let's put this in some. So the light side is the wild, and the dark side is Chicago. And you know that the the Empire comes out ahead, and the Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> and Chicago always finds a way to beat this team. <laughs> so it just seems like we're the perpetual losers. And while it's uh, it's also probably my favorite movie in the whole entire you know canon, and uh, all Star Wars. So uh, that that to me just speaks to me. All right. Dan, what about you? Do you have uh, anything you want to weigh in on this one? Yeah, I'm actually going to go another direction, and I was going to say The Last Jedi. Whereas I understand what they're doing. I enjoyed it, but there are a lot of head-scratching moments really just don't (laughs) understand why they're doing the things that they're doing. All right. So we've got three different movies, all for different reasons, and I don't think that you could necessarily mount an argument against any of them. And if you want to, go ahead. I'll pay attention to that as well. But that's all we got for questions. So, Barry, first of all, thank you very much for hanging out with us. I appreciate that. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's it's great to be on again. And let's not let's make sure it's not a year in between the, the next time I, I talk to you guys. Yeah, we'll try to figure that out. Uh, so before we go, Dan brought this up. Uh, it's making the rounds again. I'm not entirely sure why, but it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, Dan, do you want to give the background on this topic before we close it out? Yeah, absolutely. There was, in Japan, in the early to mid-90s, they released a baseball game. But for this baseball game, they had a Japanese game designer make up a bunch of what they thought were American names. And they are amazing, to say the least. The game is Fighting Baseball for the Super Famicom. And it came up with some great names like Sleeve McDykel. Onsen Sweeney, <laughs> Daryl Archideld, Anatoly Smorin, Ray McSriff. God, I want a McSriff jersey so bad right now. Uh, Glenn Allen Mixon, which actually kind of sounds like a name you might hear in football. Maybe not baseball. Yeah, that one works. Uh, Mario McRillwain, M-C-R-L-W-A-I-N. McRillwain? <laughs> I'm not sure about that one. Uh, Raul Chamberlain. Chamberlain, Kevin Nagilny, Tony Smerick, S-M-E-H-R-I-K, uh, Bobson Dugnut. Absolutely sign oh, me up that's the best. for a Bobson <laughs> Dugnut jersey. Uh, Willie Dustis, Jerome Gride, Scott Dork, Dork D-O-U. That's got to be Dork. <laughs> it's D-O-U-R-Q-U-E. So would that, or Dork? Dork. Do, I don't know. <laughs> it's like the French pronunciation yeah. of dork. Shown Furcott, S-H-O-W-N. So like you've shown something to somebody. Uh, Dean Westry. So that's very English. Uh, Mike Truck, <laughs> T-R-U-K. Dwigget Rorchigal, D-W-I-G-T. So either Dwigget or Dwight. I'm not sure. And then Rorchigal. Basically Portugal with an R. <laughs> R-O-R-T-U-G-A-L. Uh, Tim Sandaly, Carl Dandleton. I think we've now found Dan's new name. <laughs> yes. No, I'm taking the absent. No, I'm taking the last one on this list because it's my favorite. All right. Uh, Mike Hernandez, which would be close to Mike Hernandez. And apparently this is what Dan wants. Todd Bonzales. <laughs> B-O-N-Z-A-L-E-Z. So that these, is an accomplished list from the country that gave us all your base are belong to us. Yeah. So probably one of my favorite things about video games, lost in translation. Uh, and honestly, props to the to the guy that had to come up with this to actually come up with you know what he thought 
were American names for fighting baseball for the Super Famicom, which would be the Super Nintendo for those of us that live in the United States. And I'm betting that fighting baseball did not make it over to the United States back in the mid-90s. We yep. need to find that ROM then so we can play it on like a computer. That'll be the next time we go to Stubbs. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that and, too. And is it like the old NES game where there's actually fighting in the game? You remember the, the cyborg baseball game? I can't remember yeah. what that was called. Base Wars? That's what it was. Fighting. Did you guys ever play that one? I did not. Maybe. No, we'll, it's probably very interesting. It's probably older than you guys are, but I played it a lot when I was a wee lad. Shocking. Base Wars. Uh, yeah, does, cyborgs. Mm-hmm. It does Good not look, look it like. Up. Look up the ROM. It does not look like this is a game that involved actual fighting. Oh, Well, that's a misleading title. Well, so it's probably something to the same effect of, like, the Nippon Ham Fighters. Where it's sure. not necessarily about fighting itself, but, like, the fighting spirit. But of... they have such a clear grasp of, of the English language and, and naming people from America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dean Westry. Yeah, I've got tons of friends named Bobson Dugnut. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. This is fantastic. Barry, again, I do appreciate you hanging out with us today. Find Barry on Twitter at BJV Campbell. Uh, and again, you can also find him at uh, your local Old Country Buffet. I think there's still one in the States. Uh, before four o'clock, though. So if you see him after that, kindly uh, grab him by the arm. Walk him out the door. His aide should be looking for him as well. Uh, but, Barry, we appreciate it. And, again, find all of us on Twitter at PandaP21. Follow Dan on Twitter at Dantez Says. Uh, the man tweets so much that his tweets don't even show up most of the time, and he doesn't even get to check they're his. They're all baking in the oven still. I have so many hot takes, but they're <laughs> on low heat. Well, we'll wait till uh, February or so. Follow <laughs> along with us, uh, all things we do, at Twins and Losses on Twitter. You can also find us on Facebook, Twins and Losses, and check out our website, twinsandlosses.com. Your on-air talent today have been myself, Panda Pete, Dan McCarthy, and Barry Campbell. Producer today has been myself, Panda Pete, and we are part of the 4D Podcast Network. Find them on Twitter, at 4D Podcasts, and follow along on their website on Facebook at the 4D Podcast Network. We'll be back in two weeks. Thank you all for hanging out with us. Uh, Enjoy the Twins Daily Winter Meltdown. Uh, Hopefully I'll see you out there this Saturday. Enjoy Twins Fest this upcoming weekend as well, too. So lots of great things. Uh, Dan, hashtag for the week, what are we going to go with? What do you mean? That's already been determined for us. It's hashtag Bobson Dugnut. Hashtag Bobson Dugnut is the hashtag for the week. Uh, So tweet that if you've listened that far into the show. And we'll see you again in another couple weeks. Goodbye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.